so last week, Lisa and I finished up a Netflix series that we had been watching, and it was, I don't know, 8.30 or 9, kind of not an ideal time to start another show or another movie. Lisa tends to drift into nap time about then, and uh, I'm watching things alone, but uh, I was just kind of scrolling through one of the streaming services and ran across this movie that I, I knew I had seen before, but I couldn't remember it, and I remember it being good, and it's called Arrival. It's with Jeremy Renner and Amy Adams, and uh, I was just gonna watch a couple minutes just to kind of refresh myself on what it was about, and I got caught up in it. And it was so good that I watched the whole thing, and actually Lisa stayed awake and watched it with me, and the, the, you think the premise of the movie is really about um, these uh, alien life forms and these giant, giant ships that, that, that land in 12 places all across the globe. You're, you're trying to think of whether they're there with hostile intent and whether it's gonna escalate into a war and it seems to be moving that way as they're learning each other's languages, they're trying to sort of understand and decode why these alien life forms have come what their purpose in being there is. And in this broken language development all across the planet, different countries trying to interpret their meaning and interpret their intentions, things begin to escalate and they begin to, because of bad communication, begin to think that they're there to use a weapon on them. Where one person though, Amy Adams' character, sort of discovers, by the way, this is a giant spoiler alert, you're, I'm telling you the entire movie, so you can go home and watch it if you want, but you're gonna know what it is. So um, Amy Adams sort of discovers that, that they're not here to use a weapon on us, they don't understand what a weapon really is, they're here to share a gift with us. And the gift was giving us, humanity, the ability to see into the future because that gift would serve them, the aliens, because 3,000 years from then, they would need the help of Earth. And so they came in this ability to travel in time and shared with humanity the ability to see forward in time so that they could begin to do all that it would take to help secure the entire universe's future. And I thought that was really cool because we all feel inspired by and, and, and excited by the idea that we could move forward or backward in time in order to correct things that need correcting or do things that need to be done. Some of the great Christmas classics are based on that alone. I mean, Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas Carol of the, the Ghost of Christmas Past and Christmas Present and Christmas Future shows him all of the things that he's done that has caused misery and all the things that he's doing and the effects that it's having, but the most uh, punishing vision that he has is the future of how destitute people's lives are gonna be because of the choices that he's making now and that he's made in the past. You and I, in reality, we might say that we want to see the future, but according to a poll, 65% of us would rather go into the past than see into the future. 
You know, the um, great movie, it's considered actually one of the best movies, not just Christmas movies, but considered one of the great movies of all time. Uh, um, it's a Wonderful Life. Uh, George is in this, uh, in this pivoting uh, moment in his life in which he, he, he's, he's confronted by the, the, the desperate belief that his decisions to sacrifice his own dreams and his own ambition in life to help others has ruined his life. He's angry, he's bitter, he's disappointed with where he's at in life because he feels like everyone's prospered and benefited except him. So he's gonna end it all, a pretty dark thing for movies back then, and he goes to a bridge in order to jump off into the icy waters of a river and kill himself, and there's an intervention by Clarence, his guardian angel. Another spoiler alert, this movie's been around like 75 years, so if you haven't seen it, but Clarence takes him and he begins to show him what the world looks like if he had never been born. And George begins to understand that the sacrifices he made, the choices he made, the things he's done for others, the acts of kindness and the giving and the generosity has not made his life worse, but made his life better. He's benefited from all of those decisions. Yet, you and I, statistically, would rather go into the past and change a life that we've already lived versus seeing a future that we're now responsible to change with our current choices. Let me say that again. We'd rather go back and change a life we've already lived than see our future and feel the weight of the responsibility to begin to make choices today that will change that future. But can I tell you something? You don't have to see your future in order to change it. You can begin to do things now that land you in a better place, the right place, by simply making choices today without ever having seen your future. Grab your notes because we are going to push the pedal to the floor and move quickly because I have some things I wanna share with you. I don't need to see my future to know that I should be number one, dropping everything that isn't important so that I can focus on what is. So we've done a pretty good job convincing ourselves that we don't live in the past, that we're not trying to change the past. If you asked anybody, do you feel like you live in the past? I don't know that really anyone would say yes. I don't think any of us believe that we do. Yet study after study and all research shows that we are so fearful of repeating past mistakes, past hurts, past loss, past struggles, uh, past suffering, that most of our life today is driven by the fight or flight instinct that avoids anything that feels like it's gonna return us to that pain and discomfort of those seasons of loss, seasons of regret, seasons of hurt, seasons of pain in our past. So the reality is that a lot of what we do today is driven by our past. We have a very hard time letting go of our past, but you can see how, you don't have to be a therapist to understand how unhealthy it is that we are in the cycle, the trapped in the cycle of believing that our future can be improved by reliving our past or trying to change our past. Any person that's logical or reasonable says you can't change your past. We don't have that ability 
even if we were offered it by somebody, you know you simply aren't able to travel back in time and do your life over again. But that doesn't mean that you can't make the decision now to abandon living a life that's driven by the past. Get rid of all the things that aren't important. And can I tell you this, as important as your past is, it's not that important. I know it's what makes you who you are, but is that who you want to stay, to be? Is that who you want to remain? Is that how you want to be for the rest of your life? Do you only want to be defined by what you used to be? I see people on social media all the time and they're talking about how they're deconstructing their faith because they were wounded in church and literally they've got a following of tens of thousands of people and they're arguing every day online about what they used to be. And a question I would ask if I had the opportunity to sit with any of them is, I understand the hurt, I understand the pain, I understand the betrayals and all the things that you've gone through that make you feel what you're feeling today, but what are you doing now? What are you doing to prepare for a future that's different from the pain that you're feeling in this moment? Listen to Philippians 3, 12 through 14. It says, I'm not there yet. This is Paul. He's sharing his own journey of faith. He says, nor have I become perfect. I want you to get this. I haven't gotten to all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm not doing all the things I'm supposed to do. And I certainly am not perfect, but I am charging on to gain anything and everything the anointed one Jesus has in store for me. And nothing will stand in my way because he has grabbed me and won't let me go. Brothers and sisters, as I said, I know I have not arrived. I get that. But there's one thing I am doing. I get that I haven't reached the place. I get that I wasted a lot of time. Paul was a persecutor, a hater of Christians. But now that he was in his faith, he said, I'm trying to move as fast as I can. I'm leaving my old life behind putting everything on the line for this mission. I am sprinting towards the only goal that counts to cross the line, to win the prize, and to hear God's call to that resurrection life found exclusively in Jesus, the anointed one. Paul says, there's a lot of things that define me. There's a lot of things I've done. There's a lot of things that have made my journey hard and I have not moved fully away from that, but I gotta tell you, here's one thing I'm doing. I'm running away from that and I'm running towards the future that matters and it's the one that God's prepared for me. So I'd like to make a wager with you before we move on to the next point. That whatever it is today, and maybe you can write this down, you can, you can call me on this bet one year from today. Everything that you're worried about or angry about or anxious over or stress, stressed over that's distracting you right now, everything that's consuming your thoughts, everything that is uh, challenging your character, everything that is, is affecting your relationships, everything that's, that's imposing on your priorities or squeezing your faith, that a year from now, you likely will not even remember it unless somebody brought it up. It will have either not happened or it will have worked itself out or the degree to which it happened was so meaningless that it barely was a blip of inconvenience in your life. But the distraction that it's causing you in your life from the truly important things of your life, that unfortunately will continue on. That will be felt by generations to come. You cannot reclaim lost opportunities. 
That's why it's so important to drop everything that's not important and focus yourself on everything that is. Number two is this, I don't need to see my future to know that I should be changing all my plans to line up with the future I wanna have. We loved, I mean, we love plans. We love, we love plans, we love having a plan. We love making plans for today. We love making plans for this week. We have career plans, we have family plans, we have plans for our kids, we have plans for the distant future. One day I'm gonna, and you know, somewhere down the road, and after we retire, and I say, what's your plans for the week? Well, we've got this on Tuesday, we have, and the family's coming over on Thursday. What's your plan for credit? You can, I can, I promise you I can get a plan out of you. I can get multiple plans out of you. We love having plans, we love making plans. We love bragging about our plans. Oh, we're going to uh, the Bahamas in the summer. It's gonna be wonderful. We're taking the grandkids. Speaking of grandkids. <laughs> on Thursday at 4.55, I'm not a grandpa by the way. I, I, have, I have a son and a daughter-in-law who have a baby. That's, I'm not a grandpa, that's for old people, but I want to tell you that other than Jesus, there is one other perfect creature that now is on the earth and her name is Madison Reese. And she is everything. She is absolutely perfect and I love everything about her. She's awesome. And for her life, I want to plan it. I want her to avoid everything that will cause her pain and discomfort. We love having plans, but here's the truth about planning. We love plans until they don't work out as we planned. And then we get angry about the plans that we make. And the harder reality is that most most of the plans, this is not just me saying this from a spiritual perspective, this is statistically true. Most of the plans that we make don't turn out the way we planned. We are failures at planning. We're at least failures at executing what we plan, which means we waste a lot of time and energy and money and resources and emotional health on a lot of plans that are never going to work out to begin with. That should be alarming to us. Do you ever wonder how gyms get away with having all this equipment and all this staff and they only charge like 19 bucks a month or you get in on a promo the first year's $9 a month. You think, if they had a thousand people paying that, that's only $9,000 a month. That's not even their rent. Do you know how they do that? 67% of gym memberships go unused. So they've got 5,000 people paying who never show up and touch their equipment. <laughs> 10 people planned to go to the gym. Three are executing the plan. All that to say that you should only make plans that are gonna work out. <laughs> right? Why would you wanna make a plan that you know isn't gonna work out? Listen to what it says in Proverbs 19.21. A person may have many plans in their heart, but the Lord's purpose wins out in the end. 
Now, we take that personally, and we think it's harsh because we think that God doesn't want us to have what we want or get what we need, and that's not it at all. Back in September, we had a baby shower for Caleb and Caitlin, and weather had been beautiful, and then the forecast said it was going to rain the day before and the day of the shower. I can't even tell you the amount of work that Lisa put into that baby shower and the amount of planning that Lisa put into that baby shower. And I had built this big elaborate Winnie the Pooh scene from scratch and I had so much work into it and we had rented things and we had bought things and we had invested money in things and I was getting angry that it was gonna rain. It's almost as if the weather in Northern California was bigger than my plans. It's almost as if the weather didn't consult and find out if we had anything planned for that day. I'm sorry, you didn't say anything. I wouldn't have rained if you had, and it held off, but it was drizzly and dark and cloudy, and it was frustrating because it set things back, but I think maybe you're getting my point that if I was friends with the weather, and I knew the weather well, and the weather and I communicated, and the weather told me its plans, then I could have changed my plans accordingly. You see, if I had a relationship with the weather, and the weather told me its will, and its intent, and its purpose, and the value of what it was doing, I'd say, oh, I'll make sure not to do it on a weekend then that you're planning that. I think you see where I'm going with this. Listen to Romans 8, 28. It says this, we are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful. When we, number one, love him, and number two, accept his invitation to live according to whose plan? His plan. If you want to see everything that you put your hand to, everything that you spend time on, everything that you plan in your life, come to fruition and be successful, you've got to do two things. You've got to be in a loving relationship with someone who is going to share their plans with you because you've accepted the invitation to live your life according to those plans. And unlike the weather, which is unpredictable and mercurial and, and, and temperamental, the will of God is certain and known and it's eternal and it's loving and it's full of grace and you can trust that his plan is better than your plan and you can here even better trust that every plan you make in accordance with his plan will prosper. Now, will we always get it right? Will we always line up our plan with his plan? Doubtful. God is perfect. We are not. God sees things that we don't see. God knows things that we don't know. God sees around the corner that we can't see. But, do you believe that if every plan you make, you begin with, God, I want to do what you want me to do. And I don't want to make a move until I feel a peace from you to do it. Don't you think that even when we're getting it wrong, God's going to make sure it works out right? That's why it says he'll work out everything for the good and the beautiful God's gonna take the junk that we create and circumstances infiltrate into our lives and he's gonna make something amazing out of it because we've committed ourselves to living according to his plan. Number three is this, I need to see my future. I don't need to see my future to know that I should be seeing tomorrow's future and the choices I make today. You don't have to travel into the future in order to still see the future. 
Most of the life we're living today, I would say almost all of it really, is the result of decisions you made yesterday, this morning, a week ago, choices that you made a month, more likely years ago. Who you married, the kids that you had, where you live, all of those are part of choices that you made in the past, even if the choice to come to church today was only made at the last minute in the past. And I would even go on to say with somewhat of the butterfly effect that that choice to come to church today was actually decided before that because most of you aren't random people who wandered in off the street driving down and went, I'm gonna pull in there. I don't know, I'm just gonna pull in there and go to church this morning. Most of you have already an established faith of some kind and some established relationship with Summit and you're here for a reason because other decisions that you've made in the past. And that should help you understand that every single choice you make now in this moment in real time and that you'll make an hour from now and today later and tomorrow, every choice you make, every conversation we spend with someone else or online with some stranger, it's either going to be fruitful and help build the future we want or it's gonna be wasteful and just burning up a moment in time that we'll never gather back in our life again. Every minute we spend on anything is either going to produce something of value or it's going to be squandered. Every dollar is either stored away, hidden away, stored up as a treasure here. And I'm not telling you it's not wise to just have something. That's wise, it's smart. But sometimes that's where our faith lies is in what we can accumulate. Or maybe we spend it in the moment because we get that thrill out of having something that shows our accomplishments. We, we get to kind of um, um, look at our achievements and our trophies or maybe we understand there's a way to do those things without sacrificing the ability to put money into treasures that can't be defined by bank accounts or by accumulated stuff or by IRAs or 403Bs that they're things that we've invested in that we may never personally see the results of. Ministry is a tough thing. And the fact that I have, over the course of 30 years, had the privilege and honor for the first 18 or so, or a little less than 18, um, been uh, uh, in youth ministry. And I didn't always get to see the fruit of my investment and my sacrifice in the lives of those who Lisa and I committed ourselves to. It's pretty awesome in this church, we have people who are here as adults who are in our youth ministry. And I love having those representations. It makes me feel like there's others out there. And I think God gives us those things as a gift, but everything you do today is going to produce some sort of fruit in the future. It's is it the fruit that you wanted it to produce? Listen to Ephesians 5, 7, 15 through 17. It says, so be careful how you live. Be mindful of your steps, the places that you go and the things that you do. Don't run around like idiots as the rest of the world does. Instead, walk as the wise. The wise don't step into foolish moments. 
Make the most of every living and breathing moment because these are evil times. And I want to just stop here. First thing we think of is, yeah, there's this going on and there's this going on. Can I tell you the most evil thing is when we surrender our future. We give up our future willingly. We make terrible decisions that bring terrible results because we are listening to the culture around us about how we'll spend our conversations, how we'll spend our time, how we'll treat our marriages, how we'll raise our kids. So understand and be confident in God's will. Understand it and trust God's will and don't live thoughtlessly. Don't treat each moment as if it isn't significant because that moment is the block on which your future rests. Proverbs 23, 17 through 19 says it this way, don't be jealous of sinners all those who aren't honoring the Lord, then you will truly have hope for the future. In other words, don't want the life that they want, want what God has for you. Listen to me, my children, be wise and have enough sense to follow the right path. So if you wanna screw up your future, if you wanna keep listening to the world around you, if you want to ignore God's leading and do things your way and Take the reins of your life and make your own choices and figure it out on your own. Understand that's the future you chose. Understand that the results, the consequences, the payoff are yours and yours alone to own. But I want to leave you in this part with this. Psalm 32, 8 through 9 says this. I will teach you and I will tell you the way. This is God speaking to go and how to get there. I'm not only gonna tell you you need to go, I'm actually gonna lead you in how to get there. I will give you good counsel, wisdom, and I will watch over you, I'll protect you, but don't be stubborn and stupid. Man, the Bible is hardcore, we're idiots and we're stupid, and (laughs) I feel like it's my basketball coach in high school. Uh, Don't be stubborn and stupid like horses and mules who, if not reined by leather and metal, will run wild, ignoring their masters. We often feel insecure about our future because we feel insecure that no one has gone ahead of us and checked it out for us. Every child at every point has to learn to trust their parent as the mom or the dad is in the pool and they're saying, come on, jump to me. The child lingers at the edge of that pool, scared to death that, not that they're gonna hit soft water, but that parent is not gonna catch them and is gonna let them go under the water and they know they can drown in that water and they fear that big, big pool because they're having a hard time trusting. That's every one of us who knows God's already in the pool. And he goes, trust, just trust me. Just please trust me. I'm here. I'm not going to, I promise you, I'm not going to let you drop. And we still stand at the edge. That might be an indicator of the life we will later live as we're reluctant to take risk. I'm not, I'm not a big risk taker. I'll be really honest with you. I'm, I'm measured and I'm calculated, I'm strategic. I'm reluctant, I'm skeptical, even cynical. And so I'm not a risk taker. I'd rather buy a a bond or put money in a savings account than try a hot new stock that everybody's making money on. And I will be honest with you, I've envied those who have a more zealous and trusting faith than I do 
who were able to step out and just say, God's going to take care of this. I'm not, I'm not worried. We have business owners in our church who are some of the most generous tithers. And these are the ones most affected by our economy. Their business may change tomorrow. They may not get the bid. They may not have the business, but they give and they give. And I envy that. This is a life-shaping moment in our story as a church. When I began this series, I really labored over how and when I would bring you into the conversation that we're going to have this morning and make sure that it was cradled in the trust that God is God. And when we trust him, we can trust his future. And I've prayed more over the last several months that God would protect me from stubbornness and stupidity that doesn't come from arrogance or pride or, or my belief that I know better. It really comes from a good place. Uh, my stubbornness and stupidity is that I think if I just do one more thing, I think if I just can plan a little bit better, I think if I can just work a little bit harder, I think if I can just do one more thing, I can solve the problem that's before us. And I don't believe that any of us should be lazy and sit back and just go, there you go, God. I'm going to be over here playing Call of Duty. You let me know if you need me to hop in on anything. But I don't know that I'm always as quick to trust and obey the voice of God. I think often I reach out to God only when I've exhausted every other option. And he's my last resort. And in difficult times... I try to avoid difficult conversations because I know the impact it has on people's faith and on people's spirit and on people's emotional responsiveness. But I also believe that God has brought us to a place in our journey where we have to trust him because we have done everything that we can do. And I'm speaking on behalf of our leadership me, our staff, and our board. So I'm going to share quick, three very quick things and um, hopefully not go off message too much because I, I want you to leave with clarity. Number one, we need to make some future shaping choices. Um, it's very possible you don't give a lot of thought to the, the budget and the finances of the church, weekly, monthly, or, or annual. You, you might not have ever thought about the sheer size and number of ongoing expenses that are required to run the church, like the facility cost here, or the school that we rent, the offices that we have, the facilities we have to rent for like the women's event, and we have to rent those all year 
long or our fixed overhead costs, which include payroll and bookkeeping and repairs and maintenance that happen on all of our stuff here and the insurances that we're required to carry on multiple properties and software licenses you probably don't maybe even know we have to pay for you to sing songs. Well, you can sing them, we just can't put the words up without paying for those, because somebody wrote those and they need to get paid for writing those, and we understand all of that, but it's a steep annual fee to pay out. And office equipment leases and all the other things that we do just to be a church, and then, of course, There's ministry, and that's the most important thing we do as a church, and the cost of doing ministry. Ministries, by the way, that go well beyond what touches your family. I know you're appreciative for the things that your family's involved in, maybe women's ministry or the children's ministry, maybe you have a student in the student ministries, but there are ministries that are happening all year long, every day of the week, that are shaping and impacting and ministering to people that you'll never know about. So the scope of ministry is much, much bigger than maybe you even know. And like your home finances, you understand that the success of your finances and the success of your future as a home relies on the fact that you bring in more income than you spend out. That's not a sustainable model, you couldn't do that and neither can we as a church. Churches on average over the last three years lost about 40% of their weekly attendance. That's the average. It is anywhere from 60 to maybe 20% and that average is around 40%. Even today, three years later, that average is that churches have gained 60 to 80% of what they're, they're running, 60 to 80% of what they were running pre pandemic, which means that on average, nobody's returned to the attendance they once had. There's all kinds of statistics about who's left and who's coming back and who's least likely to come back and who the target demographic is for every church to consider reaching out to. But I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to continue the conversation that you can logically conclude that you can't have a change in attendance without it also making a direct impact on the finances. Unlike your home, your boss doesn't voluntarily decide each week what he or she's going to give you. That is how churches go. It's really dependent on you. And sometimes people might treat a church like a gym. And if you can get away with a 995 membership, because you don't go that often, you don't use that much, and you really wouldn't be that bummed if you had to stop going altogether. All the way up to those who are deeply invested and deeply committed. But at the end of the day, our costs currently are significantly higher than our giving. And it hasn't always been like that. I will say this, as a board and with the cooperation of the staff, we have ruthlessly cut out everything that wasn't absolutely necessary to doing ministry. And we've asked the staff 
to be very rigid with their hours and be very attentive and do all the ministry they can do without going over in their hours so that we can reduce payroll expenses. And the setup team who's here every single Saturday and stays after you and breaks all this down voluntarily took a cut to their hours to help the church. But in all of those cost-saving measures, it's still not enough because we still need to make thoughtful decisions to have a future for this church that we can celebrate. And that brings me to the second thing. We've made these kind of choices before and we made the right ones. So I'm not scared. I'm not anxious. I'm not nervous. I'm not angry. I felt all of those things along the way. I've even felt them about the church. God, if people were just more obedient to your voice, if people just listened to your word, if people were more mature, people weren't so selfish, I've gone through all of those where I needed someone to blame. Because I felt like we were doing all the work. We were making all the cuts. We were making all the sacrifices. This is somebody else's fault. 16-ish years ago, 15 and a half years ago, when I took over as lead pastor, I took over during the worst economy we had seen in decades, during the Great Recession. And church finances were in just as bad a shape as the global economy was. And we did like we did recently, we did back then. We cut all expenses, we got everything down and it still wasn't enough. It was desperate and I was stressed all the time and I, I was on the verge of probably having ulcers and, and an emotional breakdown. It was just, Joy, Joy Laws is, is here today and she was so sweet, so wise and helping me realize that you've done all you can do and you just need to trust that God's gonna work on the hearts of people to do what they should do. And that was a turning point in which I thought, you know what? I don't know if this is gonna offend people. I've always tried to avoid uh, being a church that um, if somebody visited on any given Sunday, they wouldn't land on a Sunday we were talking about money. And that's immaturity on my part. That's fear of rejection on my part because the Bible's not afraid to talk about it at all. So we began a series called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris and I took some of that content and I taught and then we just literally showed him teaching it because he's so good at teaching this really amazing biblical message about generosity and trusting God and giving was transformed. And everything we had done was not enough, but everything you did as a church was more than enough. And not only did we begin to be able to do ministry like we never had before and didn't have to say no to people who wanted to do ministry on the team, we were actually able to begin to set aside money for our future. And we're now at a place, thankfully, because of the sacrifices that were made in the past, where that money that we were able to put aside is offsetting the overage every month. And it's significant. It's grown in three, prior to the pandemic, we were still putting money away post-pandemic, it has continued increasingly, even after cost-saving measures, even after we're at the lowest cost that we've ever had, it's still not enough. 
And that would bring me to the third thing I want to share is that we are as a team and I'm inviting you into this going to make sacrifices today to have a future that we can be thankful for. So when I talk about being thankful in everything, I'm thankful for this moment because I believe it engages us all equally to decide whether this is a church we want to pass on to our kids and our grandkids. Whether we want to have a legacy in this town that goes beyond our attendance here or whether we live here any longer or not, but rather know that we're investing in the body of Christ that's changing lives. And I've had to, in all honesty, take a really hard look at whether I believed I was leading us in accordance to the comforts that come from having all the bills paid and needs met. And you can more casually decide what we'll do this week, this month, or this year. But when there's nothing left but trusting God, you need to then trust God. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt, I've absolutely heard from God. I rarely, if ever, say that because I don't always know. And I don't want to presume and I don't want to say it flippantly, but I know I've heard from God. I've heard what we're supposed to do now, and I've heard what he wants to do in us and through us in the year to come. And that took me a while to get there. But I want to tell you about the sacrifices that we are making from a leadership perspective so that you can decide whether you want to be a part of making sacrifices for our future. In 16 years, almost 16 years of leading as lead pastor, I've never had to, never had to reduce somebody's hours, ask somebody to take a pay cut, or eliminate a position because of finances, never. And that's in large part because number one, most no, I would say every single staff member that's ever worked for us in the past or is currently working for us has ever asked for anything that would put the church in financial jeopardy. We never overextended ourselves to bring somebody on the team. And that's admirable for every single staff member that they've been good with. Tim, our graphics guy who's been with me from the very beginning, has never taken a raise. That's the level of sacrifice that's already happened on our team, but that is changing. We are now at a place where every other expense has been so strategically eliminated, there is nothing left to eliminate but payroll cost. And I was not going to do to our team what we weren't willing to do ourselves. So beginning with Lisa and I, we are going to take after the first of the year, significant payroll reduction. Lisa will cut her hours in half, work outside the church in order to supplement that income, but remain in her position and require the sacrifice of volunteers to step up and help lead with her because there's not enough of her to go around after this. But thankfully, she's got an amazing team of volunteers, a leadership team who will do that. I will 
also work outside the church in a part-time strategic management position that thankfully complements my commitment to the church and won't interfere with my ability to lead the church. But it will allow me to take a meaningful cut in my salary. We've eliminated another position earlier this year. I let go of um, Jess, our office administrator and my assistant. And the first time in 16 years, we don't have an office administrator and I don't have an assistant. And it's been a little bit disastrous. I don't know how to use all the programs that we use to pay bills. So we've had people calling and going, hey, um, can we go ahead and get paid? And I'm like, yes, who are you and what do you do for us? Uh, we're who rents you the building. Yeah, you're first on the list. Let me just write that check. And thankfully, we have somebody who stepped in and is going to give us a couple hours a week to do that. But there will be other changes and restructuring in the staff as well. And those who don't take reduction will take on more work. And will have to step into a new season of sacrifice and do more than they've been asked to do before without increasing their income. So the sacrifice has already begun for our future. And can I tell you this, that the team has been amazing? I'm so thankful for our team who haven't complained haven't lamented over their future, haven't made me or the board feel badly for the decisions we've had to make. And a board who, by the way, has fought all along to protect our staff from any kind of impact because they already give a lot for not a lot. And I want to say this, the invitation I'm going to extend to you to step up in faith and trust in God and to do more than you've done before or that you're doing now is not so that we can restore positions and get salaries back to where they once were. Lisa and I have committed that if God will continue to meet our needs through these outside positions, then we will never take another increase from the church again. Because if those dollars can go into ministry and being who God's called us to be and touching the lives God's put into our care and our needs are being met, why would I redirect those dollars back to us? I would love to see any staff positions that are affected. I'd love to see that change down the road, but these are changes that need to happen now so that every dollar that's coming in and every new dollar that comes in we can turn and put it into the vision that I believe God's given us for 2024, that the team is genuinely excited about. Pastor Dan and I have had long conversations 
He's challenged me to step away from problem solving, step away from just finding things that will keep us busy and really hearing from God. And I'm thankful that I did. I'm thankful that I took that time. I'm thankful that I listened to his wisdom. And I'm excited about the series that we're starting in December because that's where we're going to talk about who we're supposed to be and what it means to this community that we live in. But I'm gonna be honest with you, none of that matters if we don't have another moment that defines us as a church. I want you to know the sacrifice has already been made from a leadership level. There's nothing left to sacrifice. And so I'm calling on you to be prayerful and thoughtful and considerate to go into your kitchens and your family rooms and when you talk in bed, to pray about how God can use you in this next season. And I get it. If you live in Lincoln and you just saw your most recent utility bill, I was about to scream at the family like, who's flushing the toilet every nine seconds? Who's taking 45 minute showers? Lisa says, oh, you didn't hear? We could have voted that down, but nobody voted. I mean, I don't vote, but you should have. It really is going to be something amazing that we're going to celebrate years from now. It really will be. And I will tell you that some won't be a part of it. I'm not angry about that. I'm not even disappointed. I'm not disappointed for us. I'm disappointed for those who won't be a part of it. Because they're in a place where they'll probably not enjoy the, the blessings that come from those kind of sacrifices. But that's probably a prevalent theme throughout the struggles and the journey that they're on, right? But there are those who maybe are on the precipice, kind of on that fulcrum moment where you're ready to do something and it's been itching inside of you and you know maybe that this is it. I talked to you last week about that one month from today on December 17th, we're gonna take a one day offering. And I just wanna explain a little bit what that is and I know we're running late, hopefully you're okay. We're gonna, thank you. We're gonna take a one day offering. And uh, I stole this idea from a really amazing organization that we support. And uh, I'm gonna ask you to just look at your income for your home and divide it by 365 days. And that's what you make in a day. Not really, I mean, you make those in five days, but I think you get the point. You just say, this is, and I want you to come legitimately with it, but not ready to give it. I don't want you, I don't want you coming with the intent to give it. I want you, when given the choice, to in that moment, own the choice, own the decision you're about to make and make it a covenant between you and God that you won't feel bad about once you leave this room. You ever bought something that you couldn't return and you were like, I shouldn't have bought that. 
I bought a car at Performance Chevrolet when I was in my 20s. And man, did they screw me over. <laughs> the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Paul said, we're gonna take an offering for another church and for their needs and for our ministry expenses to minister to them. I don't want a single one of you to whine and complain about this offering. You're, give it and be happy you gave it, but don't give a dollar that you're gonna regret. So we've always struggled throughout the church with needing to meet needs and needing money to do it and those who resent that they have to. So I trust that God is going to meet every need according to the cheerful giver in our church. Amen? So that's one thing that we're going to do. And I will tell you that as amazing as that will be in getting ministry started, and we're going to share some of those ministries in December, the things we want to do that we have not done and some of the things that we're doing that we want to do even bigger and better than we've ever done before that are gonna be with motivated and fueled by a different perspective and goal than ever before. That's gonna be amazing to help us start that, but I will tell you the truth. All of the changes that we've made, and even with the staff reductions, it puts us at about 50% of reducing what's going out every month that isn't coming in. That's how significantly giving has changed over three years. It hasn't just been people leaving. Some people have retired and others have moved. We've had a lot of families move out of state. People who would love to continue to give. There are even some who actually still send their tithe checks here until they find a church where they land. And that's amazing, but I think you can kind of see the point that things have changed to the degree that we've got to step up and step in in the belief that, listen, Whatever our future holds, we want to be guilty of doing what God's called us to do. I'd rather us go out in a blaze of glory in five years just killing it in this city, just leaving Jesus all over the place, than die a slow, painful death lingering away and becoming a statistic. It's happening all over the planet. Capital Christian Center, one of the great churches of our region that's been around for a hundred years, at one time ran over 10,000 people, had to close their doors and they were taken over by another church. And that's heartbreaking. And I don't want that to be our story. I'm not assigning any blame or trying to calculate why all that happened. I'm just saying that I don't want us today to miss the opportunity to secure a future we can be thankful for for this church and this community. So if you will, begin to pray about what God will enable you to do that requires faith. Because if this isn't a faith journey for you, you're not hearing from God. You're just looking at the checkbook and saying, ah, oh, we'll move down to the premiere package on cable. And we'll only do one quick quack membership and I guess we can drop Angry Birds off of our app and we'll give that extra $6. Right, I, I want this to be something we all go forward and just say, this is awesome. I love this scary, thrilling faith journey we're on together. 
Can I tell you that I'm not in despair, I'm not anxious, I'm not angry. I've never been more excited for our future. And I think God has brought us to a place where we have to trust him. And I'm thankful for it. Amen. I would like some credit for preaching two messages in the same time it usually takes me for one. So that is a miracle. Yes, amen, that's a miracle. Truly Jesus is moving here, (laughs) If, if that's possible. Can I pray for us? Father, we need you more than we ever have before as a church. This is a new generation of those who were at Summit. Those who were here years ago, some of them remain and some of them remember that journey. Some of them remember where we were and all that we've gone through. Different buildings, we're out from under a denomination, just tons of change, but you've also delivered us from almost three million in debt and God, you've done amazing things with us. I'm praying you do it again. It requires the obedience and faith of your people. And I know that this staff who loves you, they said yes. And I know they went through journeys, and Lisa and I did as well, of of just wrestling and thinking about our future. But I also know that our people will do that. And they'll say yes to you. And you'll do amazing things with trust and obedience. And I'm thankful now for the future that you've prepared for us. In Jesus' name, would you stand to your feet one more time and Pastor Jared's just gonna lead us in this song one time before we go.